This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intricasso. With me today for my 30th plus climate-related discussion is Ms. Cynthia Hanawalt, Director of the Sabin Center for Climate Change Laws Financial Regulation Practice at Columbia University. Ms. Hanawalt joins me to discuss, moreover, the proposed SEC and final California regulations mandating businesses to publicly disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and related climate risks. Ms. Hanawalt, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Ms. Hanawalt's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast webpage. On background, as I repeatedly noted, U.S. healthcare is the largest industry in the largest economy in the world at $4.3 trillion in annual spending, accounting for 19% of the GDP. In turn, this means U.S. healthcare is an exceptionally capital-intensive industry and one that emits an immense amount of greenhouse gas emissions at approximately 600 million tons annually, or roughly 9% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Because of the increase in climate crisis-related extreme weather events, projections of economic losses worldwide over the next few years are estimated in the trillions. As a result, the U.S. is following Brazil, Britain, Canada, France, Japan, Switzerland, and other countries in mandating greenhouse gas emission and climate-related disclosures. Most noteworthy, in April 2022, the SEC issued a proposed rule and to anticipated to go final this month that would require publicly traded companies under the 1934 Securities Exchange Act to publicly disclose information about climate-related financial risks and financial metrics to inform investors in making corporate investment and voting decisions. Investors for several years have been calling for more comparable and consistent data. For example, in 21, over 700 investors with $52 trillion in assets issued a global investor statement asking governments to require mandatory climate risk disclosures. Also, too, this past September 21st, the White House issued a directive that in part noted the OMB to work with federal agencies to measure greenhouse gas emissions in order to calculate impacts on federal programs. The writing in some is on the wall. With me again to discuss the pending SEC final rule and related California legislation known as the California Climate Accountability Package, recently signed by Governor Newsom, is again Sabin Center attorney Ms. Cynthia Hanawalt, and I was hoping to make that a lot shorter. In any event, uh, let's get right into this. Um, uh, Cynthia, let's start with the SEC rule. Uh, per the proposed rule, I'll just read one sentence from the introduction. The proposed rule will require information about registrants' climate-related risks that are reasonably likely to have a material impact on its business results of operations or financial conditions. So that's a one-sentence summary of the proposed. But uh, my question again is, could you just give us an overview, and I'll have some follow-up questions about what's proposed in the SEC rule. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so as you mentioned, in early 2022, the SEC proposed a major rule on, on climate disclosure. It's called the Enhancement and Standardization of Climate-Related Disclosures. Um, at the time it was proposed, it was in the vanguard. Um, the SEC wasn't the first regulator to propose corporate disclosures on climate risk, but it was 
um, seen as a major leading step by the primary securities regulator of the largest national economy and, and second largest carbon emitter in the world. Um, but since then, we've been waiting for this rule and, and a number of other jurisdictions have moved on ahead. Um, I know we'll talk about those, but um, maybe I'll just flag the key elements of the proposed rule from the SEC, which we're likely to see much of in the final version that um, we will hopefully get from the SEC next month. Um, you know, the rule generally requires companies to make three different categories of disclosure. Um, you need to report on material climate impacts, um, your greenhouse gas emissions, and then any climate related targets or transition plans. Um, so on material risk and strategy, the rule at least as proposed would require companies to disclose its physical and transition risks associated with climate change. Physical risks are the fires or floods um, that you imagine caused or exacerbated by climate change, you know, what you think of when, when you think of climate change. And those risks have to be disclosed by location and by share of assets exposed. The rule also asks for disclosure of transition risks, which could be regulatory risks, technological, reputational risks. And the SEC wants those predicted out over different time horizons, short-term and long-term risks. And filers would need to disclose financial and operational impacts, as well as sort of governments and, and risk management processes to manage those risks. The second category is greenhouse gas emissions. The SEC proposal would require reporting of scope one emissions, which are your direct emissions from a company, your factories, your vehicle fleets, as well as scope two emissions, which are emissions from the energy that the company buys. It's electricity, it's heating. The rule also wants um, scope three disclosures if they are material or if the filer has set a target. And scope three are the upstream and downstream emissions along the company's entire value chain. So if you think of an automatic manufacturer, this would cover the emissions from the cars it produces. So this is a really significant requirement, although we should note there is a material materiality threshold. So this is not required of every company. That's one major difference between the SEC rule and the California bills that we'll talk about later. The last category of disclosures required are, are targets and transition plans. At least under the proposed text of the rule, companies would need to disclose any existing targets they have around emissions reductions. So if you have a net zero goal, as many companies do, if you have plans around reducing your energy use or nature conservation or addressing revenues from low carbon products, and the SEC wants disclosure on the plans to achieve those targets, as well as details on the use of offsets or renewable energy credits that you're depending on to reach some of those targets. Maybe the last thing I'll just flag for you on, on the scope of the proposal is, is on timing. Large filers would have to disclose most of this information as of fiscal year 2023. So that's filing year 2024. That was in the proposal. You can imagine this will get pushed back. Um, but there's a possibility that these requirements will come into effect sooner than the California disclosures. Smaller companies had more time in the proposal until fiscal year 24, filing year 25. And then scope three emissions, the, the SEC proposal considers an additional year beyond those original deadlines so that companies can lean on their scope one and two filings by other companies in the prior year. But remember, all of this is based on the SEC's proposed rule. They've since undertaken a huge review to incorporate the the very large volume of public comments they received. So the final rule is likely to differ from the proposal, at least in a few key ways. Okay, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you uh, mentioned uh, timing when companies would 
would be required to start reporting. Let me get this generic question out of the way. Uh, it's sort of the obvious one. What would you recommend companies do to prepare uh, for reporting? This is pretty common sense, uh, but I do want to ask the question. Sure. I'm, it's worth flagging. Companies should be preparing now. This is a huge amount of, of data to be gathering if they aren't already. You know, there's a large segment of the market that is already doing voluntary reporting under the TCFD framework is the most commonly used. And that was the basis for the SEC's rule in, in large respect. So you can imagine that there is quite a lot of variety out there in the market as to companies gathering and preparing for this reporting. But certainly between the SEC rule, the California bills, the EU requirements under the CSRD, many, many companies are going to be looking at disclosure of these key climate-related risks in coming years. Okay, thank you. I might come back to SEC, uh, but let's go to uh, California. These two bills, again, S uh, Senate Bill 253 and 261 were passed in September. Uh, the governor, Newsom, had up until October 14th, I believe, was the deadline to sign. He signed, I believe it was a couple few days ago, uh, uh, close to the 14th. So again, if you could provide an overview of, let's start with, of course, basically my understanding, 253 is for larger companies, 261 is for smaller, and then they have, so they're, they're fairly different. But let's start with uh, 253. These are companies that during uh, about, my, my read is about a billion dollars in annual business. Yeah, that's right. So California passed these two laws, 253 focuses on emissions disclosure, and you're right, the, the threshold is higher, you're much larger business to be captured. And then 261 is about climate risk reporting, and that captures smaller companies as well. So to start with the emissions bill, um, it's called the Corporate Climate Data Accountability Act. Um, for those who want to Google it further, it imposes climate-related reporting requirements on both public and private companies doing business in the state. So that's a key distinction from the SEC, SEC rule, which right. only applies to public issuers, obviously. Um, you have to be organized in the U.S. You have to have annual revenues of over a billion dollars. So at least in the outset, it's really focused on these larger companies. And you have to be doing business in California, which is defined technically under the tax code, but it ultimately has quite broad reach. So if you qualify under those parameters, you are a reporting entity, which means you need to report publicly every year your global scope one, scope two, and scope three greenhouse gas emissions. So here we come to another major distinction between the California bills and the SEC rule, at least as proposed. The scope three requirement in the SEC bill um, has a materiality threshold. It does not have the same threshold in the California bill. So if you are a reporting entity, you have to report your scope three emissions, which again, those are the emissions generated from up and down a company's value chain. It's suppliers upstream all the way downstream to its consumers. It's the California Air Resources Board, which falls under California's EPA, is the entity who will be implementing this. And so they've got a year to develop implementing regulations. Those are due January of 25. And then you see reporting requirements start to kick in a year later. The scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions reporting requirements start in 2026. And scope three disclosures follow in 2027. So, you know, as you were flagging earlier, for companies that haven't already, they really should start developing the infrastructure now to gather and, and report this emissions data. And they'll have to figure out their options for obtaining greenhouse gas emissions verifications as well, perhaps through an external auditor, because 
there is this attestation requirement in the bills from a third party. Those verifications tighten over time. You start with a limited assurance and then move to reasonable assurance, which just like in auditing standards, probably your listeners are familiar, limited assurance provides you know, very little comfort as to the accuracy or completeness of the disclosure, but reasonable assurance is a much more thorough review where the auditor has to affirm the information is materially correct. So that will be important over time. Reasonable assurance verifications don't fully kick in until 2030. So in practice, this means companies have some time to get this right. Okay, thank you. I do want to, so you did make note, both 53 and 261 will be followed with state regulations. So there's another step here. Um, So that's true, David, actually, for 253. Um, For 261, the the reporting bill, um, there's not as much implementation required in CARB. So those requirements kick in um, more immediately. The reports are due January 26th. So maybe it'd be useful to just talk through what's required in that bill. Yeah, let me just say, uh, let's get to 261, but per your last point, right, this this is an important point, This the, the independent third-party assurance. Um, I did want to go back to, on 253, the bill does not define, quote-unquote, doing business in California, and I've read a fair amount about that. So could you say a bit more about how that will be implemented? Yeah, um, it is not defined in this bill. It is defined in California tax code. Right. Um, it is difficult to um, parse completely now, um, but so it's certainly something that folks will want to work with their um, compliance teams on. But it it fundamentally is a very uh, loose standard. If you have transactions of a certain very low dollar thresholds, depending on your your footprint, um, you are likely covered. Um, Right. So I did read that this may default to the definition by the California Franchise Tax Board's definition to really right. get into the weeds. Just to <laughs> note um, for the listener, to remind the listener rather, I, I've read for years that California is the fifth largest economy in the world, although interestingly, I've read recently it's now the fourth. But regardless, fourth or fifth, it is a, it is a massively large uh, economy. Uh, so let's go to the specifics as it relates to 261. Sure. So this is um, the reporting bill. It's called the Climate Related Financial Risk Act. Um, It requires companies to publish reports about their climate related financial risks and the plans they have to reduce and adapt to those risks. This bill captures more companies than 253. You still have to be organized in the U.S. and be doing business in California under the tax code, but you only need revenues of over 500 million instead of 1 billion. So estimates are that this will impact over 10,000 companies compared to around the 5,300 or so that are estimated to be captured by 253. And in the report, if you're a covered entity, you have to draft this report every two years. You publish it on your own website. Um, CARB is not directly involved and there aren't implementing regulations necessary. You just publish your report and in it, you need to detail your climate-related financial risk, which is defined to mean a material risk of harm to the company's financial outcomes related to physical and transition risks of climate change. First reports are due January 1st of 2026. And companies typically will follow this, the TCFD that we talked about, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures reporting framework, which is largely focused on governance, on strategy, on risk management, and then again on metrics and targets. 
Um, there is one way in which CARB is involved, which is that it has to prepare a biennial report on the covered entities disclosures. So I think the idea is for California to just start generating systemic analysis across sectors and industries and identify vulnerable communities and the like to think about how it is more broadly responding to the harms of climate change. Okay, thank you. Let me, uh, two questions at least to follow up. One, both these have, um, can assess penalties for failure to meet required reporting. Uh, can you comment on penalties? Yeah, there are fines for non-compliance under both bills. Um, so honestly, my read is that they are not overwhelming and, and they are something that was um, watered down a bit in the negotiations as these bills got finalized. I, I think the real pressure will um, come from public demand for this information and from sort of competitor behavior, as you expect, and watch sort of markets respond to this information. Okay, so right, the numbers I saw for the are for uh, fifty one at a billion dollars is uh, upwards of half a million, and then for sixty one penalties are up to uh, uh, fifty thousand. Um, yeah. What? And this is sort of another obvious question. Obviously, this is going to have a ripple effect, meaning even if you if you're doing business in California and you you escape the requirements of fifty three and sixty one. This is this is going to have effects on all businesses in California, correct? Well, I think that's right. Even if you are not technically captured as yeah. as a reporting or a covered company, um, you may still find yourselves affected when your your business partners are captured, as they are looking to the links in their value chain for more detailed sustainability information, particularly with respect to Scope Three. So, even if you're not an in scope company, um, I think it still makes sense to be familiar with these standards and start generating your own data. Right. Thank you. You, you nailed it. This is, if you're, if you're a supplier of a business uh, and, and you're the company with whom you contract, they have, they have to report uh, they're accounting for your carbon. So you're under pressure to uh, know what that amounts to and work to uh, reduce uh, your manufacturing emissions. So that's uh, exactly right. Right. So very good overviews. And again, California is the, just so listeners are crystal, California is the first state, uh, first to implement this kind of mandatory climate disclosure, uh, reporting in the U.S. And as, as they say, typically, uh, California is the bellwether state, um, which is frequently noted. Let's go to, um, now there's a whole other, oh, on the other thing, let me ask before I move on, uh, and this begs, the European uh, reporting requirements, but uh, what's the relative, there's speculation, say you're a, a, doing business in California and the SEC rule goes final, what's the interrelationship between these reporting? Some of these reporting requirements satisfy other reporting requirements, correct? Yes, that's certainly right. Um, and there is an expectation in the California bills that um, the federal government may well act on, on these. You know, there was obviously the proposal to it for the SEC's climate disclosure rule already announced before these bills were passed. Um, so that goes a little bit to potential litigation challenges to the California bills. This is the question of preemption, whether a state is sort of frustrating the purpose or, or conflicting with a federal rule. But, you know, given the drafting of 253, that seems very unlikely. There are specific provisions in that bill that anticipate these federal efforts. And, and CARB is actually required to allow companies to submit reports that have been prepared to meet other reporting requirements, including any reports 
required by the federal government. So as long as those reports meet SB 253's requirements as well, that'll be deemed equivalent. Right. Relative to the California law, despite the governor signing, it was these bills were heavily lobbied, Chamber of Commerce, oil and gas companies, of course, but evidently even the state uh, finance department was not supportive on this legislation. No, you're right. There was a huge amount of, of opposition. Dozens of trade associations, too, were active and spent a lot of money opposing these bills. And there were compromises, for sure, to get them passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ultimately, dozens of large tech companies went to Sacramento yes. and testified how they're doing emissions measurements and they're supportive that this is feasible and and valuable. There's a lot of business that supported the bills. um, And they ultimately both passed with with overwhelming support in the Senate and the Assembly. When Governor Newsom signed them, he did express some concern about both bills. One was around implementation deadlines, and and he asked for, for the actual timelines to be reviewed. And the second was around making sure that CARB was closely monitoring um, the overall financial impact of the bills. So I think the idea is that there will be amendments, so-called cleanup bills coming. And, and the question is, is whether it'll be a more traditional cleanup bill that deals with filing fees and, and other minor issues like that. Or does someone out there think that that scope three reporting is a cleanup issue? You know, CARB does have this year to develop the regulations for implementation. So I think we can expect a major lobbying effort, again, from the fossil fuel industry and, and other opponents of the bills as these rules get developed in, in an effort to, wink it, to weaken these laws and implementation. So, you know, advocates and investors and businesses who, who all really want these bills to succeed will have to weigh in again in a, in a big way to make sure the laws still have teeth as they get implemented. Right. Per your mention of tech giants, Apple, Google, Salesforce, Microsoft, Adobe, uh, various banks and others supported uh, so there is there is that. Let's go to uh, we have time certainly. So we go to now Europe. Uh, the UK was the first country in the group of twenty to make climate related uh, disclosures mandatory, uh, consistent yeah. with as you noted TCFD, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures. So this is the this is the um, the European Union. The European Parliament adopted again. This is the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Um, could you provide it? Let's start with just a over, top line overview of that. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so the European Parliament adopted the CSRD late last year. It became effective just in January. Um, this replaces the NFRD, the Non-Financial Reporting Directive in Europe. And in so doing, it substantially expands the scope of covered companies subject to reporting requirements and requires quite a bit more detail across a huge range of sustainability topics, not just climate. Right, it includes right, climate, right. it includes nature, governance, working conditions, diversity, sort of a lot of topics that we think of in, in the debate around ESG in the U.S. Right. I'll just so say being, I'll just say water, marine resources, biodiversity, as you suggest. It's 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 pretty substantive. So I start to interrupt. No, please. Um, it's being phased in over five years, so there are different standards for the for those different categories of sustainability over time. We got the first phase of the European Sustainability Reporting Standards, which are sort of the implementing rules, the ESRS, this summer. They do backslide a bit on climate reporting compared to the earlier proposals. Timelines have been delayed for smaller businesses. There is now a materiality threshold for many disclosures, including Scope 3. But there's still just a significant number of requirements, over a 1,000 data points. 
So if you want to think specifically about the environmental pillar with respect to climate change, those disclosure requirements are generally focused on a company's policies around climate change mitigation and adaptation and their emissions disclosures, as we've been talking about, as well as the company's energy consumption, internal carbon pricing, and general sort of greenhouse gas removal policies. Many of these climate-related disclosures, though, are subject to a materiality determination. So if a company concludes that climate change is not a material topic for its business for some reason, um, it has to provide a very detailed explanation of that conclusion. Um, so I think in practice that is very unlikely. The, in terms of who is covered, the CSRD really expands the scope of, of covered companies subject to reporting requirements in the EU. It applies to all large companies incorporated in an EU member state if you meet certain financial and employee thresholds. But I think for your audience, um, what's important to know is that non-EU incorporated companies are, may also be required mm -hmm. to comply if they have significant business operations in the EU. Um, in most cases, the threshold is over 150 million euros per year. So that is significantly lower than the California thresholds we were talking about. Um, and or if you have a branch or subsidiary in the EU that meets related financial thresholds, if you're listed on an EU regulated market and including small and medium sized companies, those will be covered as well. So I think this means that large U.S. hospital chains, for example, doing substantial business in the EU, EU will most likely be covered. Right. I'm, I'm glad that right. I'm glad you made that point. That's where I wanted to get um, a, few, a few immediately come to my mind. Uh, no need to mention them, but relative to the range of uh, related reporting, uh, just to note, social and human rights, governance, it's it's quite extensive. Um, let me ask you again, you were discussing previously assurance obligations. They're similar in this case as well. Yes, that's right. Um, there, I think there are a few key differences, though, between the EU and the U.S. approach worth mentioning. Um, just in, in terms of sustainability coverage, as you alluded to. The U.S. disclosure rules are almost exclusively focused on climate, while the CSRD addresses, in principle, all aspects of ESG. And then the EU rules also address a double materiality principle, it's, it's called, which looks at both the ESG risks to the firm, to the business itself, and then also to broader societal impact. And that's different than in the U.S., where we don't have that standard. We It's sort of focused on financial materiality, the, the risks to the issuer or the business's financials. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, let me focus on sc scope three. And the reason I wanted to scope ask you about scope three as it relates to uh, the EU is that um, the expectation is, the assumption is, is that the U.S. will sooner or later, I mean, there's going to have to be a global alignment, you know, where, and, you know, business is now international. So it'll have to be alignment at some point at least between uh, initially the, the U.S. and the EU on this reporting. And scope three under the EU is is fantastically thought out. Um, and just to make the point again that relative to scope three emissions, these are supply chain. Uh, a company's supply chain produces a, an estimate 11 times as much emissions as the company's own operation. So scope three is about 70, 80% of a, of a company's uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but and again, the EU. Could you speak more in more detail about what uh, CSR is D's doing relative to Scope Three emissions? And I'll just note, uh, not to put you on the spot, but 
In my <laughs> reading, there are 15 categories that you identifies under scope three emissions. I mean, it's, it's, re- I have to say it's from an academic perspective, it's really remarkable how much uh, thought has been given uh, to this. But again, can you say a bit more about scope three? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the significance here, um, particularly with respect to the carbon majors and, and other heavy emitting sectors. Scope three is where the vast majority of their emissions are. And you really get an incomplete picture if you were only looking at the the carbon footprint of their physical plant, their factory and their their fleet mm-hmm. of cars and not looking at their supply chain or, or their products. So this is a crucial step in getting the full picture of any business's real impact and and efforts to transition. You know, the the objections around scope three are, are its difficulty in, in gathering that data up and down the supply chain. Mm-hmm. The greenhouse gas protocol offers quite a lot of guidance on how to measure scope three, and that is um, forming the basis of many of these disclosure requirements. And there's lots of market resources that support this analysis. Um, you know, that you've got to get the data directly from your from the relevant company. Um, Failing that, you can use emissions factors to approximate the emissions from specific activities. So if you know vehicle miles driven of a car, right, you can convert that into emissions estimates based on the make and model of the vehicle itself. Um, And then failing that, there's a sort of final triage point with a large margin of error around um, approximating production metrics for a given industry or sector. But, you know, the information is there and the tools are there to do it. Um, So I don't think ultimately... Um, the pushback is going to succeed, you know, in addition to the CSRD scope three requirements that you mentioned, and in addition to the California scope three requirement, there is also the ISSB, um, which published its first two sets of standards this year. Um, That's the International Sustainability Standards Board, which was launched at COP26 in Glasgow two years ago. Um, And they have you know, another set of climate disclosure requirements that cover many of the topics we've been discussing, but it does require scope three emissions, including details about your calculation methodology and your inputs and assumptions. This is a a voluntary set of standards. They don't become mandatory unless they are adopted by specific jurisdictions, but they are, they are certainly relied upon and, and will continue to become implemented. So I think the CSRD, the California rules, the ISSB, all of them are converging around this expectation that we just have to have this information. Right. Uh, you you inferred the phrase, I think the term of art is hard to abate uh, yeah. industries. I, I will say, I think it's an open question considering their track record to date, whether healthcare is a hard to abate industry. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm glad, I'm glad that you said the quote unquote, the information is there. Because you may know that under the secretary of HHS, Xavier Becerra's climate pledge, those who have pledged to meet the terms, uh, meaning healthcare organizations that have signed on to the pledge, by the end of next year, 24, they've agreed to inventory their scope three emissions. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, all the, the tools, ISSB and others, that are out there to help them do that. And that's my, was my devious reason for asking that question. Um, <laughs> speaking of, let me, let me conclude by asking you. Um, so again, we're, this is about uh, healthcare policy. This is going to impact the U.S. healthcare industry and the U.S. healthcare industry's int- uh, ish, interests rather overseas. Uh, relative to SEC, uh, 25, 6% of hospitals are publicly traded. So they'll d- be directly impacted. By the SEC rule, and as California's other jurisdictions adopt 
uh, these reporting requirements, they're going to be indiscriminate of whether you're uh, publicly traded or, or public or not. Right. Um, so I think that distinction over time will uh, uh, evaporate. But what general advice other than sort of generic would you um, leave for healthcare organizations as these become, uh, these reporting requirements become more real and mandatory? I mean, my instinct in every sector, including healthcare, is that you want to be ahead of these laws, right? The, the whole purpose of climate-related disclosures is to bring transparency to your company's carbon footprint and your vulnerabilities to climate risk. And you, as um, you know, an operational manager, want to know your vulnerabilities to risk, and the market wants to know your impact, right? Like, this has meaning for the performance of the companies themselves, and it enables investors to make informed decisions about their choices. And the broader market, consumers, policymakers are using this information too. And we are moving towards a more sustainable, low carbon economy. And I don't think anybody wants to be left behind. Right. I think to put it bluntly, I think uh, preferable financing terms for, as as my introduction noted, a very capital intensive industry, uh, healthcare. So with that, Cynthia, we're at our time. I I very much appreciate uh, this overview uh, there's a lot here. There's a lot of details, but I think this is a, a good start. Um, I'll post whatever uh, links to other information uh, with the podcast uh, audio for a listener should they want to pursue uh, doing more due diligence here. But with that, Cynthia, thank you again. Thank you for having me. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, To suggest a program topic or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.